Who's Walking Into The Office is a podcast about the changing faces showing up at work, how they got there, what gets in the way, and what can we do as a business community to make things better. My name is Josuel Placencia. I am the co-founder and COO of Forefront. Before Forefront, I was on the other side. I was raised by a single mother in Queens, New York. Growing up low-income as a person of color and the first in my family to even graduate high school, I faced tremendous challenges when interviewing and attaining employment at some of America's top companies, from Accenture to Goldman Sachs. This is why this work matters so much for me. The demographics of the workplace are changing rapidly, and today there are more diverse faces in the workplace than ever before in American history. That said, challenges in the workplace that come with this change continue to persist. Who's Walking Into The Office is a fun, practical guide to better knowing and understanding who are these faces, the challenges they face, and what that means to all of us, the American workplace. So, uh, Keith, um, first off, where are you joining us from? Um, I'm, yeah, I'm joining from my apartment in uh, South Slope, New York, in Brooklyn. Nice, nice. I know uh, New York City has been hit hard with, with everything that's been happening, but hopefully in summer things have calmed down. And you, you've been wearing your mask and staying indoors, right? <laughs> yes, I, I get some fresh air every so now and again. I'm fortunate to have a rooftop to get some fresh air and, and oh, wow. take in the views of the city. Oh, wow. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. Well, I appreciate you joining us on a Friday afternoon. There's a lot of things you could be doing uh, today. Uh, and, and, and you've decided to spend time with me, Josue, to talk about a lot of things. To talk about how COVID-19 is changing your work, how the current um, climate is impacting the way that we train, that we equip the next generation. So it's, so it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm really excited for this conversation. But before we dig in, let's really start with you, with your story. Where did it all begin for Keith? Wow. For, for me, I, I like to think of it that I'm a product of nonprofit and CBOs. Um, I've been very fortunate. My mom, when I was younger, was in, ensuring that I had after-school activities and that I was involved in extracurriculars. I got to hone in on on uh, you know, gaining friends and, and meeting people through different activities and really latching on to when I can be creative in after-school programs. But from being part of different after-school and summer programs, I really got to be involved with, uh, be, be involved and connected to my peers in sports, in the arts, and also get to see people that look like me in these programs, whether it was my camp counselors, whether it was program coordinators, I got to see individuals that shared the same backgrounds as me, came from similar communities, and that gave me a, a huge interest of wanting to be in that same um, in that same seat, of wanting to work with someone and have them see themselves within me, um, to be able to give someone a voice of how they can either make a change or how they can work with uh, individual from Queens, from East Elmhurst, and really giving them the tools to work within public service, within youth development. So. I, I always like to say that I'm a product of, of CBOs and nonprofits because that's the work that I do now and it, it drives me 
each day to be able to give back, to be able to work with the underrepresented communities that I'm a part of, that I grew up in, and that my, my fellow fellows, you know, within the Opportunity Network, that they're part of. So I, I, I'm always enjoying being able to, to just see myself within them and being able to say that my, my, summer, my summers and mm-hmm. spending them in, in different programs got me excited and got me into this work. That's amazing. So what were some of those community-based organizations that you were involved with uh, as a kid? Yes, uh, I'd love to highlight the Boys Club of New York. Right. Um, that was the organization in which I was a member for a few years and had the opportunity in being a member to, to shadow junior staff and actually uh, serve as a staff as young as 14 years old, being able to serve as a junior camp counselor. And that was one of my earliest opportunities of, of seeing myself within youth development, from being able to play basketball or dodgeball with the explorers, the youngest group within the clubhouse, to being able to have one-to-one chats with um, some of the members who might have had a hard time, um, similar to myself, of trying to fit in, trying to create friends, or trying to feel okay with making sand art and feeling like it's fun and also feeling tough while making some sand art. So the -hmm. Boys Club really was where I started within my journey of youth development where I learned more about myself and where my skill is as well as where my passion of helping others, specifically helping youth, of finding their voice, of being able to tap in within careers and their own interests so from, from, you know, 13, being able to, to see myself as a junior counselor, 13, 14, to, to my career now, I give them uh, a, a great uh, deal of, of credit for it because I just learned so much and was able to meet so many great people over the years. That's amazing, Keith. So you, you, you've, in, in your story, as you were a young child, you were in the, in the Boys Club in New York, you, you, that was where you built a lot of your friends, friendships. You were involved as a volunteer. And now today, you're still involved in similar work in terms of creating spaces for young girls, young boys in New York and beyond to really see a future for themselves. I'd love for you to share with our listeners what you, how you do that today, in which capacity. Yes. Um... So at the Opportunity Network, I serve as the Assistant Director of Internships and Career Success, and that's a long way of saying that I manage our internship program and I work with companies and corporations for employer relations, more specifically being able to create pipeline initiatives and talent streams to diversify their um, talent recruitment and acquisition practices. So I enjoy this work of being able to um, work with companies or corporations that are intentional about their growth, that are intentional about creating diversity and inclusion within the work that they do. I think that quite often we have to battle impact versus intent. We have the great impact of creating diversity, of creating opportunities for underrepresented communities and marginalized groups. However, our impact is that we go to the what we know, which is we wind up going to the same type of colleges or the same type of organizations for our recruitment. And quite often 
we miss the opportunity to reach out to um, HSIs, to reach out to our community colleges and our public universities and colleges, as well as our CBOs. So within OpNet, I'm so excited of being able to work with companies who are intentional of looking for those resources, intentional of growing how they have their strategies for DEI work, and mm -hmm. also to being able to bring the community into the conversation. Um, I really feel and have seen uh, that when you invest in the CBOs and you invest in the CBOs early, the community-based organizations, you're able to be intentional about the talent that you're bringing into these companies and, and, and organizations. You're able to create these streams early on, whether it's in high school or even in college, to be able to have folks that are going to be learning about the company and then interning in the company and then converting it full time. And that's what the work that I get to do day to day with my team, being able to be intentional of creating opportunities for the young people that we serve, being able to provide those resources to employers to feel equipped both from their supervisors as well as their front line. I see it that it needs to be an approach of top down and bottom up with your top being your C-suite and uh, you know, senior leadership being invested to creating these, these opportunities and being very intentional of creating equity and inclusion within that workspace. You have to have those leaders within the conversation. And then from the bottom up of ensuring that within the company culture is something that's ingrained, is something that's embedded full circle within the company. So I enjoy that work because right. it creates the change in a way that's not just putting all the work or the labor on our young people, which is what we've seen in the past, but it's creating more of a, of a conversation. It's bringing more stakeholders to the table to be able to create that change and being very intentional about how we're making those, how we're making those strides and bringing in all parties who have active voices in that conversation. That's amazing. Uh, thank you for sharing. Do you feel that being someone who has been behind the other side, who's been a participant, who's been a young person uh, navigating what is a, you know, a, a tough environment a lot of times really helps your job because you've been there, you understand what it looks like to be on the other side instead of someone who's coming in, say, you know, <laughs> from another position of, you know, I just want to volunteer, do good, save the world. You actually have been there. Yes, I, I think that that adds to my ability to connect with our students is that I've, I've walked in similar shoes and I'm a big believer of meeting people where they're at. And I think that from my past experience, I've been able to understand how you need someone to motivate you, how, some, how it's not always about mentorship, but that you need a sponsor. You need that person that's going to advocate and talk highly of you when you're not in the room, that's going to represent and serve as one of your biggest advocates and cheerleaders. I also understand the importance of, of a cheerleader. We need a cheer squad behind us, those individuals that are gonna be pushing us to do better, to um, push us to think about things differently, coming in with an open mind and a perspective. So I really enjoy the one-on-one -on -one and the small group conversations I have with my students because it allows me to know more about them outside of the direct work that we need to do. It allows for, for me to 
be able to connect their stories as an individual to the work that we do and be responsive with what they like to see. Because I understand that quite often people were telling me things that I needed to do, but they didn't ask me what I wanted to do. So I really like to take a step back and incorporate mm. our students to, to, to be responsive to what they want from opportunities, what, do, what they want within our curriculum, what they feel is important for the next class or the next cohort to know about their internship opportunities, as well as listening to them for the feedback of how we can support our supervisors um, as, as they are serving as mentors and sponsors as, as internship supervisors. So I, I like to take that step back and really leverage the expertise that our students have because I know that that was something that I wanted to see more um, when I was younger was folks asking me for my opinion and my mm -hmm. feedback because there's a lot of expertise and we are expert, experts within our own lived experiences. So how can we elevate that to improve our program and improve our work? So I, I, right. I, I always see that as something that from my past experience I can bring to my work within OpNet. That's, a, that's awesome. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. And it, you, you touched on a point that I'm really, really uh, passionate about in, when it comes to the way that we work with uh, young people and the way that we work with youth is we are traditionally really focused on uh, telling people what to do really sharing with them. Um, and that's, that was my experience in a lot of community-based organizations, which is here, here's a template, here's a framework. You need to kind of follow, this is the way, right? And unfortunately that leaves out a lot of people from the equation, especially a lot of people that, that uh, are far from the template, right? People that see the world differently than, than um, what we're used to. When, when we look at leadership and who's leaders. Uh, and, and, you know, obviously I'm, I'm using a lot of high level language, but to get more specifically, you know, their, their identities are very complex. There's a lot of things that come into the fold. And there is, for some folks, it's easy to kind of mold into what's expected as a leader and what the prototype is. For others, it's not. And I think that there is a shift of, of bringing a lot more of, of those that are traditionally not part of that mold into the fold and be more flexible with, with what's accepted and what's okay um, as it, in, in terms of, of being a leader, in terms of being part of a society. And, you know, there's examples of that from, you know, obviously higher acceptance of you know, people uh, hopefully, uh, more acceptance of people from underrepresented backgrounds, whether that's immigrants, uh, people of color, African-American, Latinos, LGBTQ. A lot of times, folks from under, underrepresented groups have had to it, it be, it follow the framework of what uh, the majority group is doing. Hopefully, that's changing. I wonder what your thoughts are there. Yes, I, I, I think something that I've seen some companies and organizations do recently is being, um, to an extent, a little reactive to create opportunities um, as it pertains to these marginalized groups and underrepresented communities. Um, we know that there's a gap within black women in STEM. We know that there's a gap 
uh, within business for uh, POC. We know that there's uh, underrepresentation within tech of uh, POC in general. So how do we create opportunities for these groups? How are we intentional with bringing these groups into into play? And I think that's really where um, companies that companies given COVID, some were really responsive and innovative slash creative to create your virtual uh, um, virtual internships or project based learning opportunities to be able to work with these groups and not look at it that because we're not in person or things are virtual that we can't take advantage of the plethora of technology that we have. There's a lot of technology that's, and, and tools, resources that we can use and leverage that companies have access to, to be able to bring these folks in, especially now. I think we're not bound by space. We're not bound by location. So that's something that I've, I've really seen some be very intentional and very innovative to be able to bring in these groups. And I want to see others, you know, jump into that space as well of being able to create programs intentionally to serve as pipelines for full-time opportunities, to go into internship opportunities as well, so that you can create this stream that's continual to, to have these groups at the, with the end goal of bringing them into either the conversation at large to how to involve the community and or within full-time employment, because we need to see more of those individuals, more of these marginalized groups in these uh, positions of powers in, at the table to be able to have a conversation, to have that dialogue that truly involves the groups that we're talking about. Because from far away, we can say all we want about these communities, but if we're not tapped into what's going on at the ground level, if our leadership is far removed from these communities, we're still going to be in this um, space in which we are operating under best intent or we're operating saying that this is what's best for the groups, but we're not having them a part of the conversation. So I really, really see it that these groups need to be have, have a seat at the table. They need to be a part of the conversation and we need to be intentional. Some uh, a group that I'd like to point out is mm-hmm. JP Morgan with the Advancing uh, Black Pathways. Uh, I see that as an initiative that's really not just within internships, but also within the community to create more opportunities with careers and just community involvement, specifically within the black community. And that's an initiative that JP Morgan has been putting forth and I think we need to see that from more banks, companies, and, and, and corporations. Yeah, I appreciate that. One of the very interesting things in in um, with J.P. Morgan Chase is there. There is even in the you know annual statements of Jamie Dimon, he's explicitly talked about the importance to invest in the black community to have more transparency. And he's putting he's putting that language in that letter that is shared with all the major investors and shareholders of, of J.P. Morgan Chase, and you know obviously that that's one step, and this is just one initiative, and this is a mammoth problem. But unfortunately, not everyone even does that, right? So, so um, I'm, I'm mentioned that I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that example. The, the I'm curious to to hear your thoughts with. Right now, with COVID-19, a lot of things are changing, right? You, you can't just go to 
uh, an office with, you know, with a hundred people and just have 10 meetings. Right. So uh, things have really changed. How does that apply to the work of community-based organizations working with young people in a time where there's so much unknown. Some folks don't even know what their school looks like. They don't know where they're going to be in the fall. How is this space changing? And how, you know, how are, how are you navigating all these changes when it comes to your role? Yeah, so I'll, I'll, I'll touch on the first question of how our community based organizations changing. And I see it that we are now coming up with new definitions and, uh, and redefining what community means in that context. Um, given that things are virtual, I'm, I'm seeing, again, going back to that innovation and creativity, you're seeing organizations pivot from a in-person program that might be 100 plus folks after school or during the summer to now virtual breakout spaces online learning courses, having involvement and engaging conversations of topics and issues that the young people that they serve are interested in, and going to experiential learning. And that's where I see that more um, CBOs need to pivot is how do you still keep your, um, your communities intact? How are you being responsive to the, your community needs? And I think for some, when you look at youth development, it's really just ensuring that there's space for them to still engage, to talk to their friends, to maybe um, you know connect with the staff that they've bonded with and develop and build a rapport with over the over the years, um, and additionally more responsive and connected to the community. What are their needs? Whether it's food, whether it's just information translation, it might be that they need. In, um, information or who to go to. It might not be that the community-based organization is the end-all be-all, but they serve as a resource, as a space in which folks can be able to know what's going on within the community or resources that they might need or can have access to. So I'm seeing many CBOs uh, come up with newsletters, having virtual classrooms and virtual sessions, either after school when it was um, when school was in session and now more of like virtual uh, classroom spaces for the summer. Uh, so that's something that's really great. And I think also too, with the city's budget um, shifting and, and SYP coming back, that was a great benefit to many individuals and young people who were looking for that to be um, work experience, for that to be, um, you know, uh, in order to bring in income for their families, as well as to have something active and positive to do over the summer. So that's something that I've seen within that within uh, the CBO landscape. And more specifically, um, within our work, we've pivoted of how we looked at our summer opportunities, um, mm. given that we uh, typically place our students in um, summer internships. We've uh, pivoted to more externships and project-based and um, was fortunate to partner with Paragon One um, for this summer to be able to have 60 of our students serve in a cohort and honing in on the experiences and skills needed and necessary um, within business, marketing, and PR. Mm -hmm. So in working with Paragon One and they're facilitating these experiences and gathering projects from real companies that our students can work on to gain these skills and, and knowledge has 
really redefine how we look at career readiness and I think also to of being of, of, of taking advantage of COVID-19 and the fact that we're not bound by space, we're not bound by location. So how can we be able to tackle this problem of gaining work experience, knowing that jobs and, and organizations are looking for you to come in with experiences and that folks who have internships and work experience are more likely to be hired. So that's how we've kind of pivoted and looked at our work given COVID and really wanting to ensure that there's still opportunities for our students and looking at this as a way to take advantage of innovation. That's awesome. And I, I appreciate you, you sharing. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm curious to, to see with, with um, how, do you can, how do you really stay in touch with students? It, you know, obviously now with, you know, we have technology, but is it technology, do you feel we're leveraging technology to its full potential when it comes to, to this? I really like that question. I think quite like, especially now, it's one in which we're phasing out a little bit of the Zumbi stage. And, and by Zumbi, I mean, especially going early into COVID and folks having to work from home, we were on Zoom a lot, just in general by we, I mean, right. general, the working force, we were on Zoom a lot. We were over communicating to ensure that the work was still being done, that folks knew how they were going to be held accountable, that there was avenues of support. Um, and with that Zoom fatigue, which is a real thing, <laughs> came into play. So it's how do you balance wanting to stay engaged and staying away and, and recognizing Zoom fatigue? And I think that's where we, um, we got creative with having our OpNet quad, which is in an informal space for our college students to be able to chime in weekly or bi-weekly and talk about like what's going on, whether it's current events, whether it's just a space to connect with their, their peers or staff. And we've seen this informal space as an opportunity for our students to be able to come into this space when they want to, to have more of that power of saying, all right, now I want to engage and I want to, to be able to talk about X, Y, Z. So that, that was one thing that I like to highlight as I feel creating the space, creating a, a, a virtual space to bring in your students and have it on a, volu a voluntary basis also allows for them to have more, of, more autonomy within that process of how they want to engage. Additionally, we wanted to be um, very aware and take advantage of the technology. So like you're saying, leveraging that technology in which we have our Roots to Purpose um, Roots to Purpose series that our CEO and president, Eileen Koo, has been leading um, in which mm -hmm. we're connecting with um, professionals from very different backgrounds who are from, you know, different marginalized groups and communities that are similar to the backgrounds of our students and talking about their bringing their story and mission and how they get to the purpose, where they're at now. Mm -hmm. And we've seen that as a way to engage these stories of individuals who have similar backgrounds to our students. And again, taking advantage of the fact that we're not bound by space and we're not bound by location. So how can we have someone on Zoom 
be able to have our students hear from these experts within their own lived experiences and industries and using that as an opportunity of inspiration, of, of, of connectivity, as well as building the community. Um, so that's also a great way in which we're able to also bring in our board, our volunteers, and the many other individuals that are looking to engage with us. So I highlight those as two small aspects in which we're able to engage with our students, but I see them as huge impact because of how it's being very responsive to the fact that folks want information and folks want to also, I, I think our students want to be okay with what's going on now and feeling okay with that if you're not in a job after graduation or if you're not doing a summer internship, there's still ways in which you can engage with OpNet and engage with your fellow fellows um, within the program. So I've really seen us get creative and also being able to support our, our other CBOs and uh, nonprofits that are doing similar work within the career access and college access landscape um, with our online platform uninterrupted in which we're able to have asynchronous and synchronous content um, as it pertains to career readiness and college readiness for not only our students, but other CBOs and nonprofit organizations that are within the youth development space. So there's a lot of technology out there. And I, I take that to, I say that to say, um, I'm encouraging organizations to get creative with how they use it and mm -hmm. also not working in a silo we understand that there's so much experts within our field. So how can we bring other folks into the conversation? Awesome. I really appreciate you sharing that, uh, Keith. The shifting gears just a little bit, uh, we obviously had the pandemic hit early 2020. And then uh, shortly after we had a major event in the killing of George Floyd, which had a ripple effect in the business community, in communities in general. Uh, a lot of things happened. There's a lot to analyze. I'm curious to hear your interpretation of what is going on and what it means for advancing the next generation, for taking on systemic racism, where are we? What do you think? Yeah, I, I see that the, the, the generation, Gen Z, millennials, I'm, I'm seeing that these, these generations are being more vocal with what they want to see, how they want to hold folks accountable, and, what, and, and how, to, how to really look at the power of, of community. So I think kind of going back to, to, to CBOs, how the community aspect is so important within a CBO, being able to, to elevate the voices of those marginalized groups, of those underrepresented groups. I'm seeing, um, you know, in the wake of the killing of George Floyd, that um, these individuals, uh, you know, both within Gen Z and millennials, they want to see within companies that they are intentional with how they're serving communities. We, they want to see that they are being intentional of creating spaces for them to come in. And also to, I like to, to highlight this, 
that all of the work is not on the POCs within a company or organization. I think that that's something that companies and, and organizations are are creating equity and inclusion resources and groups and initiatives. However, it can't be that all of that work jumps is, is put on the shoulders of the same groups that was already asking for this to be done or trying to hold their board or um, senior leadership accountable. So I've, I've seen that there's been a lot of change within um, some policies. Uh, there's been reform with how we're budgeting, uh, I think, and seeing that more budget will now be moved within New York City, taken away from, uh, taken away from the uh, police force and going into social wellness and going into youth, um, youth development resources and services, that's where we want to invest the time. So it's been unfortunate that it's very reactive, but the change is one in which is going to benefit not only some of the generations now, but is going to be also very beneficial for the future generation. I think there's a lot more that needs to be done, both with companies in naming their practices and understanding that institutional racism exists and that it can't be something that we are going about our regular practices, not recognizing that. And I think also to something that I'm seeing and I'm very fortunate within OPNET is naming being an anti-racist organization or anti-racist corporation. Um, it, and, and I think in naming that, being explicit with how you're naming that, that's some of the change that we're seeing, but there needs to be more of that. Thank you for sharing. I'm curious if, if there are any students uh, that come to mind who you're proud of, that you love to talk about and kind of their story and how they've navigated these spaces. Wow, that's a, that's a hard one. There's so many, so many students and they all have their own unique story, but I think a story I would highlight from, uh, a, a, sto a story that I would highlight was one of our uh, college students. He was a first year, first year at Columbia. And it was last summer that we were, we were looking at his summer opportunity and something that we had a conversation with, and I'm proud of this moment, was him coming to the realization of what he wanted from both the internship as well as more long-term what he wanted from his career. And he was interning at a company in which um, he wasn't too keen on some of their practices. There were some things that had to do with the work that was conflicting with his overall mission and morals, mm. as well as his actual community. Um, and it was something that wow. he saw within his internship that it was a conflict of where he lives and the work that they do. And mm. he said to me, I can't be in this internship anymore because of that. And mm. I see it that I was conflicted between medicine and business. And I want to go back to medicine because of how I can serve individuals who need the resources, serve folks who need to be helped and how it doesn't conflict with my com community. I'm not working against my community. I'm working with them. And 
as a 18 year old first year college student to come to that realization that's something that it took me many years after college to come up with and wow. I know for I know other individuals would agree that it takes some time to come to that of saying what you want in life and the work that you do and I'm so proud of him having that realization of him taking a step back and looking at it and also weighing out the pros and cons, I couldn't ask for any more to how to truly assess mm. what you want from an opportunity as well as to be very intentional with what your next step is going to be or how to use opportunities as springboards. And I think something that I'd also like to highlight is how he looked at it when he walked away at the end of the internship, how he walked away of looking at it of, as a learning opportunity. And I think many would have said that that was a failure or that, wow. you know, or that you just like walked away, but he looked at it as a learning opportunity. And again, that's all we can ask. So for that, I, I truly appreciated that student as an individual, as a professional, and I'm just so thrilled with how they will move forward in a career based on that, just that one instant. Wow, that's amazing. Just hearing you was making me smile. I love that example. The reality is that in my case, in the case of, of many of us, when we are the only ones in the room uh, and we're the first to be doing this work, we have to uh, really think about who we are and our backgrounds as part of the equation of the future, right? In terms of where we wanna be. We have to think about our story, our communities. Uh, and not, not everybody has uh, that. Some folks have the privilege that they don't have to think about that, but we do. That young person did, and that young person is in a strong place because of that. And like you said, a learning experience indeed. I wish him luck, and I thank you for your time today. I really enjoyed speaking with you. Likewise, Oswell, I appreciated your time and having this conversation. Thank you, Keith. I'll let you go. Enjoy your Friday. Talk soon.